Well, thank you, Tammy. May God give us eyes to see and ears to hear. If you take your Bibles and stand with me, we want to stand as we hear God's Word read, for it's God speaking to us. And if you would turn in your Bibles in our study of Genesis 1 through 11, we're at Genesis 8. If you need a pew Bible, that is page 4. And we're looking at Genesis chapter 8. Listen to the word of the Lord. Then God remembered Noah and every living thing and all the animals that were with him in the ark. And God made a wind to pass over the earth and the waters subsided. The fountains of the deep and the windows of heaven were also stopped and the rain from heaven was restrained. And the waters receded continually from the earth. At the end of the 150 days, the waters decreased. Then the ark rested in the seventh month, the 17th day of the month, on the mountains of Ararat. And the waters decreased continually until the 10th month. In the 10th month, on the first day of the month, the tops of the mountains were seen. So it came to pass at the end of 40 days that Noah opened the window of the ark which he had made. Then he sent out a raven which, he kept, which kept going to and fro until the waters had dried up from the earth. He also sent out from himself a dove to see if the waters had abated from the face of the ground. But the dove found no resting place for the sole of her foot. And she returned into the ark to him, for the waters were on the face of the whole earth. So he put out his hand, and he took her and drew her into the ark to himself. And he waited yet another seven days, and again he sent the dove out from the ark. Then the dove came to him in the evening, and behold, a freshly plucked olive leaf was in her mouth. And Noah knew that the waters had abated from the earth. So he waited until the sound ended, yet another seven days, and sent out to the dove. I wasn't quite sure if I needed to wait and the Lord was speaking, I wasn't sure. So he waited another seven days and sent out the dove, which, he, which did not return again to him anymore. And it came to pass in the 601st year, in the first month, the first day of the month, that the waters were dried up from the earth, and Noah removed the covering of the ark and looked, and indeed the surface of the ground was dry. And in the second month, on the 27th day of the month, the earth was dried. Then God spoke to Noah, saying, Go out of the ark. You and your wife and your sons and your sons' wives with you. Bring out with you every living thing of all flesh that is with you, birds and cattle and every creeping thing that creeps on the earth, so that they may abound on the earth and be fruitful and multiply on the earth. So Noah went out and his sons and his wife and his sons' wives with him, every beast every creeping thing, every bird, and whatever creeps on the earth, according to their families, went out of the ark. Then Noah built an altar to the Lord and took of every clean animal and of every clean bird and offered burnt offerings on the altar. And the Lord smelled a soothing aroma. Then the Lord said in his heart, 
I will never again curse the ground for man's sake. Although the imagination of man's heart is evil from his youth, nor will I again destroy every living thing as I have done. While the earth remains, seed time and harvest, and cold and heat, and winter and summer, and day and night shall not cease. Let's pray. Father, we come and we are humbled that we can hear from you. Your word is our authority. Your word is without error. It's clear on what we need to have a relationship with you. And it is sufficient to prepare us for that day. Even for this day where we can receive your salvation if we've never entered into that relationship with you. We're thankful, Lord, that you're a God that remembers, that you're a God of judgment, but you're a God of grace and salvation. I pray now that, again, we would be reminded that you're a God that's eager to remember your promises and keep them to your people. May anyone here who is doubting, wondering, maybe even hurt or suspicious of whether you can be trusted, may they see your character today and run to you, and run to your son, Jesus Christ. It's in his name we pray. Amen. As we continue in our journey through the first 11 chapters of the book of Genesis, and specifically the second half of the story of Noah and the flood here in Genesis 8, we come to a chapter that I hope you have seen as Pastor Chris read read it for us, that is filled with great, great hope. You don't have to be a Christ follower very long to realize that walking with God can often be pretty perplexing. Sometimes we can't understand why God does what he does and even why he seems to delay what he has promised. And that's when we feel oftentimes forgotten by God. In fact, I would throw out the question to you, have you ever wondered if God has forgotten you? Thankfully, God never abandons his children. But that doesn't mean we don't feel forgotten by God at times in our walk with the Lord. You ever prayed and felt like your prayers were just bouncing off the ceiling because God he wasn't answering you? Maybe in the time you wanted him to answer you. Maybe the way you wanted him to answer you. Have the trials in your life ever made you think that God went on a vacation and just forgot about you? He forgot about your circumstances, your problems, and what you're dealing with, what you're going through. And if you've ever felt a little bit like that, if you've ever felt, hey, God has forgotten me, where is he? Then welcome to Noah's Ark. When Noah was 500 years old, believe it or not, God told him to build an ark in preparation for this global flood that was coming. And for 120 years, Noah persevered in building the ark. Noah entered the ark when he was 600 years old, two months and 10 days. Seven days later, the windows of heaven 
opened up and the rain began to fall. And we are told in Genesis 7 that it rained for 40 days and 40 nights. The floodwaters prevailed across the entire earth, wiping out all living creatures on dry land. And we are told at the very end of chapter 7, the last verse of chapter 7, verse 23, only Noah and those who were with him in the ark remained alive. And then in verse 24, actually the last verse here, and it says, And the waters prevailed on the earth 150 days. Now that's, if you're adding that up in your mind, that's about five months. Five months is a long time to endure anything, much less the flood in the ark with family and lots of animals. In 150 days, there has been no recorded word from God since Noah and his family entered the ark. The last thing Noah heard God say to him and his family was, enter the ark. Get on the boat. The Bible does not tell us anything about Noah's emotions while he was in the ark. We do know that he was a man of faith who walked with God. We've already seen that. And he was human too nonetheless it's often been said that the sea is a lonely place i'm sure the ark in itself was a dark place it could not have been very easy to be shut up inside of the ark for 150 days drifting along with no end in sight and no word from god do you think perhaps noah a man like us do you think perhaps he felt forgotten by God? Did he ever, perhaps one time, did he ever cry out, Lord, where are you? What is going on here? And maybe you're kind of right there now. And you need some assurance, perhaps even some reassurance that God has not forgotten you. And that's what this chapter is all about. Genesis 8 is all about that. In fact, notice this here in your notes. When you feel forgotten, here's the big idea. Here's what you need to take away from this this morning. Since God is faithful, there is hope. Since God is a faithful God, there is hope for those who feel forgotten by God. And this hope, get this, it is found in the very first verse of the chapter here in Genesis 8. When we read, then God remembered Noah. And he doesn't just remember Noah. He also remembers every living thing and all the animals that were with him in the ark. So just consider this very simple yet very significant phrase here. In verse 1 of chapter 8, then God remembered Noah. Those words tell us a great deal about our God, and they provide us with a great deal of hope when we feel forgotten by God. This verse, with, along with the rest of the chapter, tells us that in the midst of judgment, God always remembers his promises. Always. God remembers those who walk with him. And though we may feel forgotten in God's silence, God has not forgotten us, and he will not abandon us. Just as God remembered Noah, God remembers you and me as well. So let's unpack this a little bit. In fact, it's just, we're going to unpack it in two simple points that I want us to show you here this morning from Genesis 8. Number one is in faithfulness, God remembers us. In faithfulness, God remembers us. 
when Moses tells us that God remembered Noah, and likewise, by application, God remembers you, well, what does that actually mean? What does it mean that God remembers? Remember Noah, and he remembers us. Well, notice this here in your notes. When God remembers us, it means that God is he's faithfully acting on our behalf in response to his promises. Listen, God never forgets his people because God always keeps his promises. Let me say that again. God never forgets his people because God always keeps his promises. And throughout the destruction of the world, God remembers Noah because God is keeping his promises. Moses emphasizes this very truth here in verse 24 of the preceding chapter when it says, And the waters prevailed on the earth 150 days. And then immediately in the next verse here in Genesis 8, verse 1, it says, Then God remembered Noah. Now, to give you context here, to give you kind of the big picture of what's going on, remember, the world of Adam is now extinct. Everybody in civilization outside of Noah's family has been judged by God and destroyed in the flood. But God remembered Noah. And so Moses is giving us this contrast here. He's setting it up. The world of Adam is gone forever, but Noah is alive, and he is safe inside the ark, remembered by an almighty God. Why? Because God never forgets his people. Why? Because God always, always, always keeps his promises. And so God's remembrance of Noah is not like, oh yeah, Noah's still out there on a boat, I better do something. God remembering Noah doesn't mean that God's, somehow has forgotten Noah. Rather, God remembering Noah means that in the midst of this great flood, God stayed true to his promise and acted on behalf of Noah and his family and all the animals in the ark. Now, understand, this is not on behalf of God. This is not an act of memory, but rather an act of grace. When God remembers it's a sign of his faithfulness, of who he is in the promises that he has made. In fact, as one commentator says, that God remembered Noah means that God took care of them throughout the great flood, and thus he fulfilled his covenant promise found in Genesis 6, verse 18. Another commentator writes, this word remembered, it combines the ideas of faithful love in timely intervention. In other words, taking this all together, when God remembers, he's acting. He's acting on behalf of his people. He's acting on a previous promise that he's made. And in Noah's case, that meant God faithfully kept his promise to Noah by rescuing him through the flood. Now, this is rather important. It's rather important for Noah and his family, just as it's rather important for us. Because Noah may not have been aware that God remembered him. In fact, he may have felt like God had actually forgotten him. 
for 150 days, remember, Noah had been in the ark, and there was still no sign of dry land, no sign of the flood letting up. And Noah may have wandered within his heart, maybe even expressed it to his wife and family, Lord, am I going to die in this boat? Is this nothing more than a floating coffin that we are on? Have you forgotten us? Have you forgotten me? But God remembered Noah. And God's remembrance always results in action. That's what we're seeing here in chapter 8. Through the rest of the chapter, it's God doing this. It's God doing that. It's God acting. It's God intervening. And Noah's responding. So think of the chapter 8. God remembers and he's acting. He's acting on behalf in response to a promise that he made. And all through the chapter, we are seeing what God does in response to that. And Noah then responds accordingly. And that sets us up. So how did God act in response to his promise he made to Noah? What did he do? What did it look like? How did God remember Noah? And there's tangible ways that Moses, the author of Genesis here, reveals to us. Notice number one. First of all, it's in your notes, come up on the screen. God caused the floodwaters to recede. With the judgment now over, God acted to now bring about restoration, and we can even use these words, a recreation to the flooded world. According to verse 1, God made a wind to pass over the earth, and the waters, as a result of this wind passing over the earth, began to recede. This speaks to God's authority which we've already seen in the creation story in Genesis 1. We see it again. It speaks to God's authority and his power over the forces of nature. God sent a worldwide wind to begin the process of drying out the world. Notice what else God did to cause the floodwaters to recede. In verse 2, it says, The fountains of the deep and the windows of heaven were also stopped, and the rain from heaven was restrained. And so as a result of God's action, we now read in verse 3, in the waters, notice what happens to them, receded continually from the earth, and at the end of the 150 days, the waters decreased. Now, remember, though, Noah's still where? In the ark. He's inside the ark, so he could not see yet all that God was doing on his behalf. Now, that's pretty significant because that has great application for us. Noah may have heard the wind outside of the ark, but he could not see yet the waters receding on the earth. But just because Noah couldn't see it doesn't mean it wasn't happening. Doesn't mean God wasn't working on his behalf. And in much the same way, we may not always see, in fact, I would propose a lot of times we don't see God working behind the scenes on our behalf. And if we're not careful, we can come to these conclusions, where's God? He's forgotten me. He doesn't care about me. Why should I persevere in obedience? Why should I continue to follow him? Because it seems like when I follow him and walk with him and obey him, Nothing good happens. I'm abandoned. But we can be sure that God 
remembers us. We can be sure that he is keeping his promises to us. Listen, even now, the quote floodwaters in your life through people, circumstances, whatever's going on around you may be receding without you even knowing it. So persevere and keep walking with God by faith like Noah did. But there's a second aspect here, a second action that God does as well. Notice God brought the ark to a secure rest. Notice the result now of the wind passing over the earth and the waters receding from the face of the earth. We see this in verse 4. Then the ark rested in the seventh month, the seventeenth day of the month, on the mountains of Ararat. And there the ark rested for over two more months, while all along in verse 5, and the waters decreased continually until the tenth month. In the tenth month, on the first day of the month, the tops of the mountains were seen. So here's, here's the story. Here's the big picture here. At the end of these 150 days, Noah's ark comes to a rest on some mountains, the mountains of Ararat. Now, that's in the region of modern-day Turkey. And today, the highest mountains in this region is about 17,000 feet high in altitude. Now, I do find it interesting that Moses uses a particular word to describe the ark on top of the mountains of Ararat. What word is it? Rest. Think of it this way. For five long months, the ark labored to accomplish its work. What was the ark's work? What was its purpose? is to save Noah and his family and the animals. It is to rescue them in, from the flood. But now it comes to a, quote, rest. This is the second mention of the word rest in the Bible. With the first being, back in Genesis 2, when God rested after his work of creation. And now here we find that the ark had fulfilled its task. And now after 150 days, it finally comes to a rest, and I would put out there a secure rest. God indeed remembered Noah. The flood that had destroyed the world did not harm Noah and his family and these animals in the ark. And I love what Matthew Henry wrote about this verse years ago. In his words, he says, the ark rested upon a mountain, not by Noah's prudence, but by the wise and gracious providence of God. As God's people, we may feel like we are being tossed about aimlessly on the sea of life, but we can be certain that God has not forgotten us and he will bring us to a rest, a secure rest. When he is good and ready in his timing, as we are going to see here in a moment. Why? Because God never forgets his people. God never, never forgets his people. Why? Because God always, always, always keeps his promises. And that's what he is doing here for Noah and his family and the animals. And then there's a third action God took in his remembrance of Noah. Number three, God spoke to Noah with words of recreation. The final way God remembered Noah was by speaking to him again with these words of recreation. We may describe it even as words of life after a flood of death. And so 
After 371 days on the ark in total, God finally broke the silence here in verse 16. Notice it in your notes or in your Bibles. When God speaks to Noah and says to him, go out of the ark, you and your wife, and your sons and your sons' wives with you. And as far as we can tell, this is the very first time God has spoken to Noah since he had told him to enter the ark. And so what a long year it must have been inside the ark, waiting to hear from God to leave the ark. And then notice what God tells Noah in verse 17. He says, by the way, when you leave, go ahead and bring out with you every living thing of all flesh that is with you, the birds and the cattle and every creeping thing that creeps on the earth, so that they may abound on the earth and be fruitful and multiply on the earth. Does that sound a little familiar to you? It should, because God is repeating something here. He's repeating the creation mandate that we saw back earlier in Genesis. Remember what God said to Adam back in Genesis chapter 1, verse 28? He told Adam and Eve back then, be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth. And so we see here again in chapter 8 here, these words, the language of the original creation being reintroduced with God's words of recreation. Think about it. In a very real sense, Noah is like a second Adam. As he leaves the ark and steps into a virgin world that has been washed clean by God's judgment. And there he stands with his family and all the animals in the sunlight of a brand new creation. And here again, we see the principle that in God's work of redemption, he is about restoring the re original blessings of creation even in our lives. Now, there's great hope in this right here. Because what this means, it's not that God abandons his original design for us in creation and says, well, since you guys blew it, since you went off in sin, just like Adam and Eve did, I'll give you something second best, third best, leftovers. Oh, no. No, no, no. Listen, the original creation blessings are intended to be restored in God's redeeming work in our lives. And this is what God is doing here with Noah, and it is so beautiful. And so just as God remembered Noah, God remembers you. And if you feel like God has forgotten you, then be encouraged here this morning because God never forgets who? You. He never forgets his people. Why? Because God always, always, always keeps his promises. And although Genesis 8 is primarily focused on God remembering, God interacting, God intervening, God acting on behalf of Noah, it also tells us about Noah in his response, remembering God. And by application, it shows us how we too should remember God. Notice point two, by faith, we must remember God. By faith, we must remember God. When God remembers us, it means God is faithfully acting on our behalf in response to his promises. So what does it then mean when we remember God? Well, notice in your notes, it means 
we are acting in faith toward God in response to his promises. So for us, remembering God is an act of faith on our part. And this act of faith is in response to God's promises. And so what did this look like in Noah's life here in Genesis 8? Well, Noah's remembrance is seen in two particular ways. First of all, Noah waited. Noah waited for God's command before leaving the ark. That's the first way in which God re Noah remembered God. In fact, I would just venture to ask you, you know, have you ever noticed how much waiting is involved in living for God? Walking with God. Noah walked with God, we've seen. Enoch walked with God. But while we're walking, there's an awful lot of waiting. You've got to be impressed by Noah's faith when it comes to the ark and the flood here. I mean, think about this with me. God told Noah to build the ark, and what does Noah do? He builds the ark. God told Noah to enter the ark, and what does Noah do? He enters the ark. And now Noah finds himself doing what in the ark? Waiting. Now, from God's perspective, and we talked about this already in a previous message, that we need God's perspective when we're walking with God. And walking with God gives us God's perspective. And from God's perspective, let me tell you, the flood was right on schedule. Everything was happening according to God's sovereign plan and purposes. However, Noah was not given a schedule. It's not like when you go on a cruise. I'm sure some of you have been on a cruise. And when you go on a cruise, you are given an itinerary of that five-day, three-day, seven-day cruise, 10-day, whatever it is. You can look at your schedule and you know, this is where we're going to embark. This is where we're going to disembark. We're going to go to this island. We're going to go here and here. And you have your schedule. Not so when Noah entered his ark. God had told Noah when the flood would start, but not when it would end. And so all Noah could do was be patient and wait on God's timing. And let me tell you, that's when. It's when we are waiting that our faith is tested most. We are some of the most impatient people in all the world. Bruce Adrian is. <laughs> How many are with me? Yes. Here's the deal. We can endure almost anything in life if we know when it will end. Often, it's the not knowing that kind of wears us down. We wait and we wonder as the uncertainty takes its toll, and our chief question is almost always the same, when will this end, Lord? I've had enough. And the answer is always the same, in God's time. That's when it will end. Not one day sooner and not one day later. All told, Noah spent over, get this, a year, some 371 days on the ark. Can you imagine? Just imagine being cooped up with your family for over a year in what amounts to a giant floating zoo. How many of you have ever taken a vacation with extended family? And you're brave enough to raise your hand. Yes, I have been there, done that on two different occasions. I love my family. 
We actually spent, this last, latest one, a few years back, we spent, it was either five nights, I can't remember, it's all jumbled together. I think it was like five nights in one big house. And I have two brothers, my mom and dad, all their kids, and there was, I don't know how many, there was a lot of us. We had a great time, I loved it, but after five days, let me tell you, I was ready to be gone. Get me out of here. Let me go back home to my sanity. You know, it was fun while it lasted for five days. Can you imagine 371 days on a boat with your extended family? And no way out. One author, one author described it this way. Months of stable muck and bilge water. Daughters-in-laws and mother-in-law and seasickness. There must have been times when Noah wished they would have hit an iceberg. Even after the ark came to a secure rest on the mountains, there was still, get this, a lot of waiting for Noah to do. In fact, in verses 6 through 12, the whole focus is now on Noah's patience as he waited for God's command to leave the ark. Look at this with me. Look in your verses here. In your Bibles, verse 6 says, So it came to pass at the end of 40 days that Noah opened the window of the ark which he had made. Verses 7 through 9 says, Then he sent out a raven which kept going to and fro until the waters had dried up from the earth. He also sent out from himself a dove to see if the waters had receded from the face of the ground. But the dove found no resting place for the sole of her foot. And so she returned to the ark to him. For the waters were on the face of the whole earth. So he put out his hand and took her and drew her into the ark himself. And then what? The next verse says, and then he waited. We hate that. In fact, he waited yet another seven days, and again he sent the dove out from the ark, and then the dove came back to him in the evening, and behold, a freshly plucked olive leaf was in her mouth, and Noah knew, he knows now that the waters have receded from the earth, but yet what does he do? He waits again. I would have jumped ship. Verse 12 says, So he waited yet another seven days and sent out the dove, which did not return again to any anymore. And according to verses 13 and 14, And it came to pass in the 601st year, in the first month, the first day of the month, that the waters were dried up from the earth, and Noah removed the covering of the ark and looked, and indeed the surface of the ground was dry. In the second month, on the 27th day of the month, the earth was dry. And so finally, after 371 days of waiting, God tells Noah to go out of the ark. And notice what Noah did in verses 17 through 18. So Noah went out, and his sons and his wife, and his son's wife with him, every animal, every creeping thing, every bird, and whatever creeps on the earth, according to their families, went out of the ark. Talk about the patience of Noah. Noah did not move until what? Until he heard from God. Until God commanded him to move and leave the ark. Listen, in our haste, even in our frustration or perhaps desperation, we always, not always, but oftentimes, we try to leave the ark way too soon. We may try to unhinge the door, even climb out through the window. But when we do, we usually slip and slide through the mud, and we end up in the water face first. It's always best to wait for God's perfect time and to trust 
that our Heavenly Father remembers us and He will always keep His promises. And so like Noah, our waiting, even today, is an act of faith which is to be accompanied by a sense of hope in God. Now, I think it's true for almost all of us here that we can appreciate Noah's eagerness to leave the ark. Right? If you were in Noah's shoes, you'd want to leave too. Especially after 371 days. And at the same time, I don't think we appreciate enough how much courage it took for Noah to actually step outside of the ark. Yes, the ark was crowded. The ark was cramped, probably really smelly. Like some of your kids' rooms. But let me tell you, it was still home. And it was safe. But now Noah is leaving the known in the ark for the unknown outside of the ark. The world he had known before entering the ark was now gone forever. Cities and civilizations that he once knew are now gone. Geography that he once knew is now changed. Nothing looked the same. Everything was now new to him. And so under those circumstances, it might have been easier just to stay in the ark. At least it was safe. At least it was secure. At least it was home. It took great courage for Noah to step out of the ark into a brand new world. It meant trusting God in the unknown. By faith, that's what it means. Faith means trusting God enough just to take the next step and then trusting God with the results. In fact, Hebrews chapter 11 tells us that by faith, Noah built the ark. And it is also true that by faith, Noah entered the ark. And by faith, Noah waited in the ark. And by faith, Noah left the ark. Every step of Noah's life is by faith. And so Noah waited. He did what is hard for most of us to do. He waited on God. And the only reason you are willing and I am willing to wait is because we have a firm belief that God will remember me. He has not forgotten me. He will not abandon me because he always keeps his promises. And if you don't believe in that, you will jump ahead of God's timing in your life. But Noah also remembered God in a second way. He worshiped the Lord in gratitude of his saving grace. Noah's first thought as he stepped off the ark was to remember the Lord. And therefore, Noah's very first response after getting off the ark was to worship God in gratitude of his saving grace. And that's exactly what Noah does here in verse 20. Look at it. It says that Noah built an altar to the Lord and took of every clean animal and of every clean bird and offered burnt offerings on the altar. And here we learn that God's saving work on our behalf, listen to me, it always evokes the response of worship. When Noah stepped off the ark, his first priority was not, how many have seen the show, Naked and Afraid? If you ever watch that show, Naked and Afraid, when they, when they get out the, the first day, their first priority on the first day is always to find shelter. Build shelter. That's not Noah's first priority here. 
No, his first priority is not to build a house for himself, but rather to build an altar to the Lord in gratitude of God rescuing him from the flood. In speaking of this very offering of worship, one writer says this, thereby Noah testified at once to his gratitude to God for deliverance, to his need of sacrifice in approaching his God, and to the consecration of his life to the service of God. In fact, this offering that Noah gives, that he builds and offers up to the Lord, this offering represented Noah's total surrender and dedication to the Lord. Let me tell you, after the flood, Noah could see that God is not only a God of wrath, but he is a God of mercy. And I have been the recipient of that mercy. Noah recognized that he owed everything to the Lord. It was God who warned him of the coming flood. It was God who promised to save him and his family in the flood. It was God to who told him to build the ark. It was God who preserved the ark through the flood. It was God who brought the ark to a secure resting place. And it was God who told Noah when it was safe to leave the ark. God did it all, and Noah's just around for the ride. The offering, we're also told, was totally incinerated, burned up. And that is a picture of the total giving of oneself to the Lord. At the same time, it was wholly celebratory, thanking God for the deliverance just rendered. And as the, burnt off, and as the offering burnt to ashes, Noah is in effect saying this to God, Lord, I'm all yours. Here's my life. Here's everything I have because I owe everything to you. And as a picture of this, as a token of this offering here, my life is here for you. In a sense, it is the same thing that we see the Apostle Paul exhorting us to do, fast-forwarding to the New Testament of Romans chapter 12, where he says, by the mercies of God. What mercies? The same mercies that Noah experienced, the rescue of his life. It is by those mercies through the ark of salvation in Jesus Christ that we are rescued from the judgment of death. And Paul says, by those mercies, there is only one response to your life, and that is to offer it as a sacrifice to God. Not a dead sacrifice, but a living one. Give everything you have about the Lord or about yourself to the Lord. So how did God respond to that? How did God respond to Noah's offering of worship? God's response was one of grace. It was one of grace, amazing grace. In fact, verse 21 says, notice it, and the Lord smelled a soothing aroma. And let me tell you, that aroma, like when you go down to Joe's Barbecue, Casey Barbecue, Arthur Bryant's, or any barbecue here in Kansas City, you go to the American Royal, and you're smelling that aroma in the same way. And that aroma, oh, that's acceptable to me. And in the same way, that aroma pleased God, signaling his acceptance of Noah's offering of worship. God is pleased when we worship him with our lives. 
fully surrendered to him. Not in the pretense of our self-righteousness, because that doesn't get us anywhere, but in full dependence on God's righteousness, on his grace and in his mercy. In verse 21 and 22 says, Then the Lord said in his heart, so Noah is not privy to this. He will be, as we'll see in chapter 9 later on when God reiterates it. But notice what God says to himself in response to this offering that is acceptable in his sight. Then the Lord said in his heart, I will never again curse the ground for man's sake. Although the imagination of man's heart is evil from his youth. By the way, let me stop and say there, the flood did not get rid of sin. Which is why we still need a redeemer in Jesus Christ. He says, nor will I again destroy every living thing as I have done while the earth remains, seed time and harvest, cold and heat, winter and summer, and day and night shall not cease. And so God demonstrated his pleasure with Noah's offering by basically proclaiming quickly here three different promises. Succession here. The first one, God promised never to curse the ground again. Not because man deserves it. No, no, no. Not because man deserves God's mercy, since the imagination of his heart is evil from his youth, but be simply because of God's grace. This is an act of grace, a promise of grace. Second, God promised never to destroy all life again. Now, we know the day is coming when God will destroy the world by what? All you got to do is jump over to 2 Peter chapter 3.10, and Peter tells us there that a day is coming when God will come back in Jesus, and he will destroy this world, not by a flood, but by fire. But he's telling us here it will never again happen by a flood. Third, God promised to preserve the world until then. Now, this ought to give us some confidence in light of some of the news that we hear today and for the last 10 years about, I'm not going to get all political on you. Here's what I mean by this. Listen, that is God will establish a cycle of seasons because of his grace. He's promising us that he holds this world in his hands. He's not going to let it go until he's ready to. So don't worry about what you're hearing on the news in light of our world. In the same time, we are to be good stewards of this world. We have that responsibility as Christ followers. But we need to keep this all in perspective. As we often forget, as A.W. Pink put out, put it, that behind nature's laws is nature's Lord. And the Lord is God himself. He holds all this together. So Genesis 8 here is much more than just this story about a boat that floats. It's a story about God remembering Noah and Noah remembering God. And so let me leave you with three brief lessons here to pack into your back pocket, in your purse, whatever, and walk out of here with. Number one, God's silence does not mean he forgets us in our time of need. If you need to write it down, here's your last chance. God never forgets his people because God always keeps his promises. John Calvin summarized it well when he wrote, let us learn from this to rest in God's providence even when he seems to have completely forgotten us. We will soon see that he was mindful of us all along. So remember the God who remembers you. 
Remember the God who loves you. Remember the God who is with you even now. Because God's silence in your life does not mean he forgets us in our time of need. Second lesson, we must continue to obey God while we are waiting on God. Oh, this is hard. We may have to wait a long time. Some of you may even have to wait 371 days like Noah did on the ark. But regardless of how long you wait on God, commit now. I will always obey God just as Noah did. I will walk with him. I will persevere. And then lesson number three, whatever the state of your life, surrender your life to God in worship. If you want to call it a Romans 12, 1, 1 decision, that's what it is. Present your life as a living sacrifice to God. Lord, it is here for you. I do not own this life. It is yours. And I surrender my plans, my dreams, my desires to you. How can we do less than surrender our lives in worship to the one who has poured out his grace on us and rescued us from our sins and the judgment we deserve? When Noah got off the ark, he worshiped God. It was his first priority. How about you? Are you worshiping the Lord with a surrendered life? It may be a, this one-time decision that you give your life to the Lord, but let me tell you, it is an everyday occurrence. It's a renewal of that every day. You wake up in the morning, it's like, Lord, my day is not mine, it is yours. And my life with it. So help me by your grace to walk with you. According to your will, as a sacrifice and as an offering that is pleasing to you. In light of the mercies that you have poured over me. Will you bow your heads with me? Heavenly Father, thank you for the truth of your word. Thank you for remembering us and always keeping your promises to us. And in response, may we remember you in obedience and worship. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Praise team's going to sing just one chorus. And as they do, let me encourage you to respond. Man, as you reflect on your own life in light of the mercies of God and his promises Cry out to the Lord. Respond as need be here at this response time.